Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Loya, your host. It is hard to believe but we are entering in the Byzantine liturgical calendar, and according to the Gregorian calendar, we are entering the preparation time for the season of Lent, the Great Fast. And as always in the Eastern churches, we have that rhythm, that bell curve. You may have heard me talk about it from time to time in this program, if you have listened to us before, because the bell curve is a kind of an essential rhythm of life, actually. It has a rising action, a climactic moment, a falling action, and a resolution. And in fact, this is the components that oftentimes goes into a great story. Something rises up, there's a development, and then there's the climactic moment, there's the falling action, sort of coming out of the climactic moment, and then there's the resolution at the end. It, it's a basic rhythm that is used in writing movies and stories. And it's also a basic rhythm that we see in many areas of life. It's like an S-curve, only turn the S-curve on its side. It's like a bell curve. And you see this rhythm very often in Eastern Christian spirituality, especially in the liturgical life. And it's a very essential rhythm. It's a very healthy one because it's a rhythm of life. It's a very fundamental rhythm of life. Think of how many times you see an S-curve. You see it in our bodies the shape of the human body. You see it in nature, in plants and trees. You see it in mountains and roads and so on. Now take that S curve and just turn it on its side. You've got the so-called bell curve. Well, today in the Byzantine calendar, you have the Sunday of Zacchaeus. The theme is the story of Zacchaeus, who Jesus comes upon, and we read this in chapter 19 of Luke's gospel, Jesus comes upon Zacchaeus, who's up at a tree, and he's watching as Jesus is walking by with his entourage. And Jesus looks up at him and says, Zacchaeus, come down. I want to be with you tonight. I want to have dinner with you tonight. And everybody is scandalized. They're upset because Zacchaeus is a tax collector, which, of course, is a hated occupation at that time because the tax collectors used to cheat people and exact things from them that was unfair. So they were really a hated breed. 
But Jesus looks up and he encounters this tax collector. Now, what we've been doing recently in our Light of the East programs here is we're trying to show how the Eastern Christian spirituality, as historical as it is, is actually very relevant. What we're doing is we're, I like to call it this, unleashing the inner dynamism of the Eastern liturgy, the liturgical life. In other words, it's not just about going to church, attending liturgy. It's about immersing ourselves in a vision of life, in a reality, and touching God, and then moving out from there, having been transformed, and we move out to every aspect of life. So the liturgy of the church, and by that I also include the liturgical cycle of the church, which we're talking about today, these things actually enable us to live life better. We apply the liturgy. That's why I say, let it, let it be unleashed. Let the inner dynamism of liturgy be unleashed. This is something that I am calling all Eastern Christians to, Eastern Catholic churches in particular. We're very much a people of liturgy, but it's not enough just to attend that, just to be proud of it or to cherish it. That's all good. We have to live it. We have to apply it. It has to be an applied liturgy. So we apply the vision of liturgy to everything. Well, This Sunday, we're applying this story of Zacchaeus to that basic bell curve rhythm of preparation into Lent. You see, Lent is so intense, especially in Eastern churches, that we do need to move into it. We can't just jump into it, nor can we just jump out of it. So we move into it through these basic themes. And the basic theme today, as I mentioned, is Zacchaeus, but it's Zacchaeus and the story having to do with desire. Desire. Zacchaeus desires something beyond what he has, what he knows. He has all that life has to offer him. He has money. He has power and influence and authority because he's a tax collector. But he desires something else. He's, he still feels an emptiness within him. And so he's looking longingly towards Christ, and he climbs up a tree because he's a short man. So he, he tries to transcend himself, transcend his physical limitations. Now, we're going to stop right there, reflect on that for a moment in terms of the gems of Eastern Christian spirituality. How does this apply to our lives? How does this liturgical moment, how is it relevant to us? Well, it tells us something about our being human, that as human beings, We are the one creature on earth that is open to transcendence. In other words, we desire things beyond ourselves. We have a yearning, an ache, a longing for something more. No matter what we do or have, have you ever experienced that? Maybe you're even experiencing it now, these several weeks after Christmas. Some of the gifts that are beautiful and all that wonderment and merrymaking of the past Christmas season might still leave us with a sense of wanting more, that this, this, this doesn't fulfill us completely, as nice as it was. We have an innate sense of longing, of wanting more as a human person. Why? Because we are made in the image and likeness of God. God made us for himself. He made us to want him, want union with him. Zacchaeus transcends his short physical stature. He does this in a very physical way by climbing a tree. Well, if you look at the physiology of the human person, we're the only creature God made that stands erect and looks forward and upward. We have a very 
outward, forward, upward kind of orientation to our whole physiology. Think of most animals. They look out or down, mostly down. They're always looking around for food, you know, sniffing around and so on. There are no creatures except the human person that actually, in our very physiology, stands erect. Our orientation is outward and upward. Now, yes, sometimes we look down, and when we look down, usually that indicates something isn't right. You know, we're sad, we're depressed, we're lost, we're maybe lost in our thoughts and so on. And when somebody's looking down, we sometimes ask them, what's the matter? You're looking down. <laughs> Do you feel down? Because we know that innately our orientation is upward, outward, forward to something beyond us. So here we're seeing the truth about ourselves as human beings. And the reason why this is important is because if we understand the why behind how we tick, how we're made, we can search in the right places for the answers, just as Zacchaeus did. Zacchaeus is searching in the right place for his inner yearning, for his desire to transcend himself. His money, his power, his authority wasn't enough. It was what the world promises, but it wasn't enough. He had something else pulling at him, and he knew that that something else was in the direction of Christ. So he had this desire, which we all have. In this moment, he looked in the right place. He looked towards Christ. Now, Jesus Christ, for his part, also had desire. He has desire for us, for our heart. This is why he tells us, commands us, keep holy the Lord's day. Come to church. A lot of people ask me, well, Father, why do we really have to go to church? Can't we just stay at home in our own rooms and pray to God? I have God in my heart. I have him on my mind. I can see God everywhere, the beauty of creation and so on. I said, yeah, that's all good. And we should have God in our hearts. We should be able to talk to him even in our privacy of our rooms. We should be able to see him in nature. I'm a big proponent of all that. However, however, that's not enough. It's not honest to the whole truth, to the whole picture. We desire Christ. Christ desires us. And because he desires us, he calls us to himself. He moves towards us, as Jesus was moving towards Zacchaeus, but he also calls us to himself. And he calls us to himself for union, for intimacy. Jesus tells Zacchaeus, I want to be with you. And Jesus also gives us a way to be with him. In fact, in the Old Testament, he actually gives a detailed description of that way, that place of meeting with him, and it's called a temple. And in fact, the correct term for a church in the Eastern tradition is actually a temple. A temple where God and human beings meet in a special kind of spousal relationship and intimacy, and we offer ourselves God offers himself, we offer ourselves to God. Sacrifice is a special dimension of a temple. And this is what happens in the liturgy, in the Eucharist, or in the Mass, as we say in the Western Church. So the desire that God has for us is fulfilled in a way that God himself describes for us and calls us to. So here we have in this one story of Zacchaeus, something very fundamental to understanding ourselves as humans, our relationship with God, and why we need church, why we should go to church. We go to church not just to go to church. We go to church to commune with God because God desires us, and we have a desire too 
and those two desires meet in a way they cannot meet anywhere else, not even in our own rooms, not even on a beautiful mountain, those desires meet in that special way in the church, in the liturgy, the prayer of the church, and especially in the intimacy of the Eucharist. When we come back, we're going to talk more about the relevancy of the liturgical life of the church to our lives. I'm Father Thomas Leia on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion and to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church. We need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. And then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. You are listening to the Choirs of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church under the direction of Timothy Woods in Homer Glen, Illinois. This is the music you hear on Light of the East and is sung during the sacred liturgy at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish. Order online at byzantinecatholic.com. All we ask is a donation of $15 or more, which includes shipping and handling to Annunciation Parish for each Theosis CD. Send a check made out to Annunciation Parish at 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. And may God grant you You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East the Tabor Life Institute, which is dedicated to the formation and education in the theology of the body. To find out more about the Tabor Life Institute, you can go to taborlife.org. That's taborlife.org. Especially if you're interested in conferences and retreats, in particular for youth, young adults, and also for those of you who speak Spanish. That's taborlife.org. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Longer, your host. We're moving into that preparatory time before the Lenten season, the season of the Great Fast, and we do so by climbing on board that rhythm I'm always talking about here in Light of the East, that bell curve rhythm, that S-curve turned on its side. It's actually woven either on its side or right side up, the S-curve or bell curve, all through nature. Not only physical nature, but also through life, through life itself. So we're moving on that bell curve, we're riding that bell curve, and we're rising up towards that climactic moment of the Lenten season. And again, we'll ride that bell curve again as we move towards the other climactic moment, and that would be where Lent leads us to, and that is the death and resurrection of Christ. And we'll continue to move through a bell curve, a rising action, climactic moment, falling action, resolution. That's the elements of the bell curve. And we're starting the bell curve towards Lent with this theme of the story of Zacchaeus from Luke chapter 19 about desire. What else can we learn about desire from this this first of the preparatory Sundays for Lent in the Eastern calendar? When we talk about our desires, we sometimes look at them as, 
well, as bad. Another word for the desire in the Eastern churches would be the word passions. Our passions are like an energy, an energy that, that moves forward, wants to move out of itself towards something. Another word we can use for this is eros, or an erotic energy. And when I say erotic, I'm not talking about erotic in the sense that we always hear in our culture. As always, uh, many words are commandeered by the secular culture, and their meanings are changed or banalized. But erotic, the eros, actually has a very good meaning, spiritually speaking. It means that yearning, that desire for God. Things we hear about the great mystics are in the book of the Song of Songs in the Bible. Very erotic book, the Song of Songs. Very erotic language is used in the liturgy of the church oftentimes, in liturgical prayer, and in, in the words, the writings of the mystics. So erotic means that energy that desires, that drives towards something else, towards an object, towards a, the object of our yearning. And our yearning or our passions are in themselves good because they are that desire for union, for intimacy, our desire to be hungry, our desire for love. These are good things because they, they propel us towards something. The problem comes in from, of course, first of all, original sin, where those desires, good desires, those good passions, became fallen. And so they're sometimes defined or lived out or feared or seen in terms of their fallen state. So our desire for love now becomes an inordinate desire for sex and for lust and so on. And so we have a tendency to then see the body or matters of sexuality, for instance, as somehow dark and dirty and bad and to be avoided. And we end up with a rather unnatural or perverted sense of human sexuality, of the body. And this is all because we allow the fallen side of our passions to, to dominate or to cause fear in us. But the Eastern Fathers talked about reaching a state of apatheia, from which we get our word apathy. Now, apathy doesn't mean, in this sense, we don't care. The word apathy, in the way we use it in secular language, you can see it's a, it's a derivative. It's a sort of a morphing of the original meaning of it, which is a Greek word, comes from the Eastern Christian spirituality, apatheia, and in turn apathy. Apatheia means to be dispassionate. In other words, to not be controlled by our passions. We have passions, but yet we are, in a sense, dispassionate. Now, this sounds like a contradiction, but you have to remember also the Eastern spirituality is very good at living in the both ends. Something is this and that at the same time. Seemingly two contradictory things. They're actually complementary. These two things at the same time. And apatheia is one of the goals of the spiritual life, that we have a passion, but it's a dispassion. Let's go back to Zacchaeus, for example. He had a passion that was fallen, and so he lived it out in terms of power and greed. But he comes across Christ, and the object of his passion, his desire, now becomes united with Christ, and therefore he becomes dispassionate. In other words, he's no longer ruled by the fallen part of his passion. In fact, he remember what he said? He tells Jesus, I will give up what I have. I will pay people that I owe four times over. Now, that's a tremendous freedom. That's a way of arriving at a state that is beyond the power the tyranny of our fallen passions. So Zacchaeus, by communing with Christ, reaches a state of dispassion or apatheia. 
where he still desires, he feels this drive, but it no longer rules him in an inordinate way, in a fallen way. So this is the goal of the spiritual life. And this happens with Zacchaeus only because he encounters Christ, and Christ encounters him. And Zacchaeus obliges Christ's invitation to be with him. So our desires, our passions are ultimately good. It's just that how we live them out that becomes the difference. And too often we allow or define our passions by their fallen sides. So passions are not bad. They seem to become bad for us. They're actually good because they're ultimate desires for God. It's just that through original sin, we sometimes allow them to have power over us in disordered ways. So the goal of spirituality is to reorder the passions. We don't get rid of them. We don't move beyond them, but we reorder them according to God's design. In other words, we become congruent, harmonious, integrated within ourselves. This is very true about sexuality. Sexuality is not to be avoided. Human sexuality is the way in which we are most like God, according to St. John Paul II. It was one of his brilliant insights in his theology of the body. So we move into our human sexuality. We don't avoid it as something bad, dark, and terrible, and shameful. We move into it, but, big but here, but with the sacramental liturgical view, that mystical view with ordered passions. And then we find out that our human sexuality is all about life and love. It's about our experience of God. So we don't see the body, we don't see human sexuality as something that's secretive and dark and dirty and shameful. We see it as something wonderful and beautiful, but we approach it in that way in which it is sacramental, it's boundaried, and it is dispassionate. So it doesn't mean we lose our passions. We still have the passion, but it no longer controls us in a disordered way. And this is what we see in the story of Zacchaeus. It's also part of the goal of Lent. This is why during Lent, especially in the Eastern churches, we have such strict asceticism, lots of prostrations, you know, all the way to the ground with our bodies, our faces to the ground, begging mercy from God, fasting, you know, destroying, breaking the tyranny of those passions, first and foremost of hunger, then of greed and lust, and ultimately we're trying to break the passion of pride. And then we have extra prayers, more rigorous prayers and prayer services, liturgical services during the season of Lent. So we're trying to break that tyranny of our passions, Not again, not to lose the passions, but to reorder them according to the right way. Think of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. They had passion. They had a great desire for God. They had union with God, union with each other. Look at what Adam said when he saw Eve for the first time. This one at last is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. This one shall be called woman. Those are beautiful, incredible, endearing words that Adam had. You could see and listen and hear the love, his passion for this discovery of woman. So all was good, even though there was passion, passion for God, for nature, for one another between Adam and Eve. But then those passions became fallen after they ate the forbidden fruit. And now Adam and Eve looked at each other, no longer sacramentally, but lustfully. 
But this lust, this fallen passion of any kind, whether it's hunger or in the area of sexuality or the area of greed, power, wherever the passion is disordered, that is not the norm, that does not describe what the passion really is. The passions ultimately for what is true, good, and beautiful. And this is what Adam and Eve saw when they saw the tree of knowledge that Jesus said, do not pick from that. They saw that it was true, good, and beautiful. It was attractive. That's okay. To see something attractive is to see it as revealing God. But it's how we respond to it that determines everything. And we respond to things the right way when we understand the why behind them. We understand what it is we really, in the end, are desiring. And that desire is for union with God and for all that is related to God, all that he created. We, we desire, as we say in the Eastern churches, to be united with his uncreated energies. In other words, his grace, like the rays of the sun that come out from the sun. We want to be united with that. We can never be united totally with his essence, but we can be united with that part of God that is his nature, his uncreated energies, his grace. This is what we desire, and we're not happy, just as Achaos is not happy, until we move in that direction, propelled by our passions, our desires, our eros for God. I want to thank you for listening. I'm Father Thomas Leia on Light of the East. To hear Light of the East again, visit ByzantineCatholic.com and click on the Features and Programs tab and on iTunes. Thank you for listening to Light of the East. We encourage you to tell a friend about Light of the East and to visit ByzantineCatholic.com. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. More to life with Dr. Greg and Lisa Popchak. The church has 2,000 years of wisdom to share on what it takes to live life gracefully. We're so overwhelmed by how much our faith has transformed our marriage and family especially. We want everyone to experience the incredible gift that the Catholic vision of life and love really is. More to life with Dr. Greg and Lisa Popchak. Weekdays, 10 a.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Wilcook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Or donate online on the homepage of ByzantineCatholic.com. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. Oh!